but you know, before you can become a champion, you have to behave like a champion, you know, but before you can win, you have to develop the habits and the mindset of a winner. Um, it's, it's these, you know, that it's the cart and the horse, but, um, to me, that's what was most impressive about Steph. You know, he was putting these things into practice and exercising these types of disciplines well before he became who he was. So uh, it's not an accident that he's such a good shooter. Uh, it's simply cause and effect. You know, when you put in that much time with purposeful practice during the unseen hours and you have an incredibly high standard of excellence and you hold yourself fully accountable and you're always working on your craft and you have a growth mindset, you take all of that together, the perfect cocktail, and you do it consistently, it's not a matter of, of if you'll be successful, it's just a matter of when. And there's certainly... That was Alan Stein, Jr., international coach, motivational speaker, and best-selling author of the book, Raise Your Game. And you are listening to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Podolan. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hey there, and welcome back to episode 86 of the Up My Hockey podcast. Uh, my apologies to those who are faithful listeners of the podcast. Uh, it has been quite some time since episode 85, and it was quite some time before that for episode 84. So the new the new episodes have been uh, a little bit wanting. So for those of you who are already caught up and have listened to everything and are looking for more, uh, I am going to do better. It has been summer. It has been the off season and everybody <laughs> needs a little break from time to time. So, uh, I did a little bit of, uh, R and R and, uh, allowing myself to decompress and, and to take a little bit of time off while developing my business in the background. So thank you for your patience. Uh, but we are coming back with Augusto because we have Alan Stein Jr. on, uh, he is an author of the game of the book, uh, raise your game, uh, High performance secrets from the best of the best. <clears throat> I came across uh, Alan as I as I share in the interview after my interview with Jared Bedner. So uh, the fact that we had him on, he's actually a basketball personality, and that's the uh, that's the sport that he he spent in most of his life. Now he's into to, uh, business coaching and and helping companies raise their game. Uh, so this is actually the first non-hockey, specifically non-hockey personality on, and uh, and I'm super thankful for it because when reading his book, it's uh, it was amazing to me. One, I mean, he, he's very concise. It's very thoughtful. It's very story-driven, which I like. It's a, it's a really easy read, but a lot of the concepts and principles from him breaking it down to player principles to coach principles to company principles or team principles. Uh, are really things that I love to coach and that I love to talk about, uh, not only with my private clients, but also in the peak performance uh, or peak potential uh, project. So I, I found our alignment was, was really interesting and I wanted to speak to him uh, and hear his stories and, and how he applies that from basketball and stories from basketball and how they relay into hockey. And, and obviously there's many, many parallels.
Wells. Uh, so this conversation was awesome. We get into confidence. Uh, we get into parenting. Uh, parenting, I consider to be a lot like coaching. Uh, so uh, th- there's lots of parallels in that. Uh, how to raise empowered young men and women or how to raise empowered hockey players. So for the coach- coaches and the parents who like to listen, this is a fantastic podcast. And for you players out there, there is a ton in here uh, for you to extract about, uh, you know, how to practice, uh, what your controllables are, things you want to stay away from as far as the big three, as Alan calls them, that he doesn't allow in his house. Uh, We talk about personal deliberate practice um, because we're talking about Steph Curry and and how he approaches his practice. There there are so many good things in in this episode uh, that I am really looking forward to sharing it with you. Uh, This is one of the first times... um, there's been a few others, uh, like D- David Quinn, of the uh, a former head coach of the New York Rangers, uh, and and a couple others that I have not met before. And and this is one of the scenarios where Alan and I have never met. We've never spoken. Uh, we spoke off camera for probably a minute before the podcast started. So this was the first time meeting each other, and uh, and Alan was super impressive, uh, very articulate. Uh, poignant. You can tell he's a motivational speaker. He's very, very good with words, and uh, and I really enjoyed the stories he shared. So for those of you, um, you're in for a treat today with a high performance coach and author of the of the book Raise Your Game, uh, a book that was on head coach Stanley Cup champion coach Jared Bednar's desk uh, that maybe helped motivate some him and some of his players on the way to a Stanley Cup championship this past year. So please enjoy my conversation with Alan Stein Jr. All right, here we are. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Alan Stein Jr. I'm so excited to be here, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. I've been looking forward to this since we put it on the calendar. So good, so good. Um, For those of you who don't know, I would have mentioned it in the intro, but we are speaking with author of this book, uh, Raise Your Game, uh, a fantastic read. And Alan and I, seconds ago, literally uh, met face-to-face for the first time. Uh, and we didn't have any type of preamble, which is kind of the way I like it because I like to keep things real fresh and I like to be curious and, and ask a lot of questions. So uh, I think, Alan, we should probably start with the whole idea of social media and Internet can be awful at times, but can also be really cool and uh, and how we actually met. So uh, I'll tell the first part and then I'll tell you and you can maybe reach out about the second. But in one of my interviews with Jared Bednar, head coach of the Colorado Avalanche, uh, after the after the interview was over. On his desk, I saw this yellow, great cover, by the way, bright yellow book um, that was sitting on his desk. And I said, Betsy, what are, you, what, what are you reading there? And so he held it up and we had a brief conversation about it. And, and he said he was really enjoying it. Uh, Jared then goes on to win the Stanley Cup this year. And uh, and I had the book. So, I mean, I, I definitely I, I bought the book after Jared recommended it. There I am reading it. I post something on social media. Alan actually happens to respond to me, you know, just uh, let's go or, or whatever. And then I told him the story about Jared. Now Alan has been in touch with Jared Bednar. I don't know what the, what's going to transpire there. And now here Alan is on my podcast. So uh, I love the way that works sometimes. The universe is a beautiful place. <laughs> uh, it most certainly is. And that's one of the cool parts about social media and kind of this virtual world that we live in. Um, I, I, had no idea he was reading it. And, um, you know, so it was, uh, I'm incredibly grateful that you even brought it up. Very thankful for the introduction. Glad I got to reach out to him. Um, I don't know that I can take all of the credit for them winning the Stanley cup, but I feel like probably take at least, no, I'm just kidding. No, I just think that's really cool. Um, and anytime 
I hear of someone that's that's found value in my work, whether they've listened to a podcast or seen a video or read the book, and they're kind enough to relay that information back. It, it really fills my bucket and inspires me to keep putting stuff out in the world. So I I appreciate you for connecting those dots. Oh no, yeah, you're welcome. It, it, that is kind of, and I thought that would have been cool because you're for like my listeners. Obviously, my platform is hockey, so the predominant people who are listening here uh, is that, but. Uh, there's obviously there's crossovers, as you know, from business to different sports. And we're always learning for, from everywhere. And for you to have an NHL head coach, uh, for you to be on his desk, I thought would be pretty cool because it. Uh, I'm sure you mean you've obviously rubbed elbows and, and, and touched a lot of different people in, in your in your days. But uh, but being on an NHL coach's head, head uh, desk there, I thought that would have been pretty cool for you to hear. It, it most certainly was. And, and yeah. one of the things that I enjoy most and am most proud of in my work, <coughs> excuse me, is that these principles have high utility and you can apply them to any area. You know, um, admittedly, I know very little about the sport of hockey from a, from a technical standpoint an X's and O's standpoint. Um, I think I've only been ice skating once or twice in my life. And uh, it was pretty obvious uh, when I was doing that. Um, so the fact that, that I can grow up kind of in a basketball bubble and learn strategies and principles from elite level players and coaches but then share them in a way that someone from a completely different sport in a completely different, in your case, different country can still find that, that these things resonate is so exciting to me. And you know what, one of the best compliments I ever get is when someone read, re, reads, raise your game and says, you know, I, I shared this with my child, or this is helping me become a better parent or spouse or someone that's in the business world that doesn't like any sports, much less basketball or hockey, and says, oh, yeah, I can still use these lessons to become a better sales professional. That's actually one of my, my favorite parts of the work is that yeah. these, these principles have no boundaries. They can help us in any area of our life. And, um, you know, the, the stuff that I learned through the game of basketball uh, has had a ma massive impact on not only how I see the world, but how I parent my own children, uh, how I, you know, approach different relationships. So yeah, to me, to, to hear something like that come full circles is just really, really cool. Yeah. The one, the one blessing I think that for me in growing up in hockey, which is a team environment, I mean, as is basketball is, is the idea that it is a team environment. So yes, we're striving for this individual potential greatness, whatever, however you want to fit it in, but you need players around you one to make you good. Uh, you need to bring out the best in those players to have you be at your best. And success is definitely not uh, hinged on one player. And and maybe more so in hockey than basketball. Like basketball is a bit of a star-driven sport, but hockey, there's you know, there's 20 players on a team and you guys all got to be clicking. And uh, and what I like is when when players are done with the game, and whether it be basketball or football or hockey, a lot of those aspects, you talk about the principles of the sport, the principles of being a teammate, like that just, it's a plug and play with business. And a lot of times the business professionals, because they're academics, haven't really experienced what that team environment is like, I find. So when you insert these players that understand what team is and how to lift people up and, and you know, you're not, you're not clawing your way to the top, you're helping people up with you. Uh, I really like when players make that connection i mean you yourself now going to business and a lot of these other players that have success in business i think it's just a natural connection it absolutely is because those players i mean there's a few things that they they usually share in common uh first and foremost they're coachable you know they understand that i need to learn to take instruction i need to be open to feedback that somebody else is going to hold me accountable to doing my best uh, they also understand that while we have a goal 
it's up to me to fulfill my role on that team to the best of my ability. And if I do that, and in the case of hockey, my 19 teammates all do that, then it gives us the best chance to be successful. And then lastly, they understand this concept of, of we over me, that, mm -hmm. that everything we do can't be to my preference. And this team doesn't exist uh, to, to meet my needs. It's the other way around. The team is going to have a goal and a vision and a mission. And it's up to me to adapt and, and do the best I can to make a maximum contribution to the greater good. And, you know, there are going to be times um, where I'm feeling really strong and I need to lend a hand to a teammate to help pick them up. And there's also going to be times where I'm feeling low and I need to reach a hand out and ask for help from a teammate. And it's those types of qualities that I think we inherently learn through team sports that then apply to every area of life. And I, I know, you know, if, if I was running a business where I was hiring people regularly, one of my, I won't say requirements because I don't like to box myself in, but one of my very strong preferences would be to hire someone that at least has some experience playing on a team. Doesn't mean they had to play in the NHL or play at university level, but, but even if they just played, you know, uh, youth hockey or hockey in high school, it would just let me know that there's a better than average chance that they'll have some of those characteristics. You mentioned roles and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit farther in the book when you were talking about team uh, and it just struck a, a memory of, of Brad Larson, who was another head coach that I happened to interview on the podcast, this time of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, but he spoke a, about a time when he was a player for the Colorado Avalanche. And this team was just a wagon, right? Like this Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. And he was the, the quintessential role player. I mean, he was, a, he was a younger guy. He was a fourth line guy. He was, he was what's called an energy player on the team. Uh, he was he was somebody that really embraced that role in his own right, which allowed him to have a long uh, 400 game NHL career, which which was amazing. Uh, but what he said about that team, which was different than than other places, and, and you'd hit the nail on the head in your book, was the ability of the bigger players, let's say the more star players, the, the more prominent players made him feel like he was the most important player on that team. They would. what some people might think is a minimal role when it comes to hockey, like to, to lift that player up and to, and to really embrace that, like, boy, does that, I mean, that, that leads to winning that leads to a lot of these other things. But uh, in, in Brad Larson's player, career, it also led to like personal uh, greatness in, in his right and, and, and a personal career that lasted a long time. So I love what you talked about roles there. Is, is there any similar stories like that where you can remember like a sixth, seventh man that, uh, that really, really like did his job and, and made everyone else better that, uh, and, and, and in doing so like his selflessness, um, help, help the team. Absolutely. I mean, a countless number of stories. And one of the things I find interesting for whatever reason, I believe a lot of people hear the word role player and it's almost as if it's got a negative connotation. It's almost as if, you know, you're, you're only a role player. I mean, if, if we're being honest, only 20 players in the NBA, you know, your, your LeBron James and your Kevin Durant's and your Steph Curry's guys that can do kind of a little bit of everything outside of your top 20 players in the NBA, almost everyone else in the NBA, the league that I'm most familiar with are considered role players. 
you know, the other 430 players in the league have one, sometimes two uh, very elite skill sets. Now, this doesn't mean that they're awful in other things, but they have one or two things that they can really hang their hat on. They are an elite level rebounder and shot blocker. They're an unbelievable defender and high energy guy. They are a knockdown shooter, you know, and these guys are playing, you know, at the, the, the top of their profession and the top of their craft. They are the best in the world at what they do, and they're still considered role players. So um, I think we need to, to switch the mindset that being a role player is somehow less than because it's not. Every organization in business and basketball and hockey and anything in between, um, the vast majority of people in that organization are role players and everybody's role is, is somewhat different. And it's been my experience having been around some elite level teams that the teams that get that and the ones that embrace that. And as you just said, so beautifully, the ones that have the star players acknowledging and showing respect and appreciation and gratitude for those role players um, are the ones that are ultimately uh, most successful. Um, you know, there, there were two players. So I worked at a very, prestigious high school here in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, DeMatha Catholic High School, which currently has over a dozen players currently playing in the NBA. And two of those players, uh, Victor Oladipo and Markel Fultz, um, both had kind of a very slow progression to getting to where they are now, um, both of which, when they were freshmen in high school, played on the freshman team, both then played on the JV team as, as 10th graders, and neither one of them were the stars of either one of those teams. And then over their junior and senior year, when they made the varsity team and conti continued to develop and get better, then they started getting some recognition to play at, at the college and university level, and then had very good careers at Indiana and Washington, respectively, and then became first-round draft picks in the NBA. But for most of their playing career leading up to that, they were role players. And, and in today's day and age, if you were to look at most – American-born NBA players, most of them play varsity their entire high school career. Like they're just so good at what they do. They usually don't have these stepping stones, but both of those players did, but they trusted the process. They respected the process. They understood that development is what's most important and it's what allowed them to, you know, do what they're doing today. And I love those stories. And actually, I want to touch on, because I know you have a couple really good, um, well, personal insights and experiences with the likes of you know, Steph Curry and, 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 and rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. Um, and although they are stars now, and, and Kobe was, I think, ninth overall or whatever, but they weren't the chosen ones either. You know, like they weren't that, you know, the LeBron James of the world, right? Like, and, and I love that aspect because a lot of times we have this fixed mindset about these stars that they are just better than us or they are just better than everybody else. And, and I love when, when someone has firsthand knowledge like yourself that can explain to some of these younger players like my audience that, no, there's a process here, right? There's a process to get better. And I totally want to touch on that. Um, but the one thing the one thing I want to go back to is you talking about parenting. And I thought that was an interesting thing because you and I have, have I have three boys, by the way, and my, my boys are 12, uh, 13, uh, 11 and nine right now. So they're in uh, competitive as all can be, you know, mm -hmm. of course, internally, you can just imagine um, nobody wants to give anyone an edge. Uh, I'm like that myself. My wife is very competitive in her own right. So our household is, is sort of a, a one everlasting competition. Uh, but in saying that, I want them to beat me. And you said in your book that you don't let your kids beat you at anything. Can you maybe talk about that a little bit in your own words and, and explain to some of the 
listeners out there, which I think is so crucial right now in this day and age, and maybe we'll get, we'll touch on that, but like the, the, the character or the personality of today's athlete, I think is different than it's been in a long time. And, uh, and I think that that's what you're trying to teach your, your, uh, your children. So please share. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So we're not that different as far as children's age range. I have twin sons that are 12 and a 10-year-old daughter. So we're still kind of grouped in the same, uh, I guess, same age range, if you will. And um, my children have have played a variety of different sports. They've done some individual sports and team sports, a variety of different activities. But at present, all three are pretty fixated on basketball. And that's not through any forcing of me. I just want them to find stuff that they enjoy doing but they've just naturally gravitated towards that. And um, I'm, you know, I'm thankful. It's a nice bonding experience that they're, you know, uh, taking a liking to something that I'm so passionate about. Um, So that part's pretty cool. But yeah, even when they were young, I've always had this philosophy of never conceding and letting them win, Um, you know, and for the most part, we're talking about any activity or, or, or something that would involve, you know, strength, speed, or intelligence like I, I would say to them, you know, I'm <laughs> several decades older than you. I've I've got some some strength and some power and some, you know, hopefully wisdom that you just haven't accrued yet. So the fact that I can beat you um, is not an admonishment to you. It's not I'm not saying that to diminish you. That's just the reality of it. And And I have always been very open with my children that I want them to earn everything. You know, they they certainly will we'll never have to worry about having a roof over their head or clothes on their back or food at the table. You know, there are basic needs that will be met and they know that I will always love them unconditionally. Uh, that, you know, my love for them has nothing to do with their performance on the court or what grades they get in school. You know, those are the basic needs. But outside of that, I want them to have the attitude that they will earn everything that they get in life. They will earn every grade. They will earn every relationship. They will earn every position on a team. Um, and that's really important. So um, I've had that attitude you know, with them since they were young. Now, just so uh, nobody calls child services to have my kids taken away, uh, there are two disclaimers that I'll make. Uh, the first is, especially when they were young, we would still play plenty of games of chance. You know, I, I don't know if you have the exact same games in Canada that we have, but, you know, we're playing games like Candyland and Shoots and Ladders and things that literally you just roll the dice or you spin the, the the number wheel. So they would beat me in those games because it's pure luck. And we would play plenty of those because I do want them to taste winning and taste success. The other thing I would do was uh, I would appropriately handicap certain things that we would do to give them more of a chance. So if, if we were going to race from here to the mailbox 20 yards away, I would give them a 10 yard head start, but I would still run as fast as I could to try to beat them. But if I handicapped it appropriately, they would still beat me sometimes. But when they beat me, it wasn't because I wasn't trying or I was letting them win. It was simply because we we narrowed that you know discrepancy between us fairly. So my kids certainly had some taste of winning at younger ages, but it was never because I I, I let them. And now that they're getting older, you know, with 12 and and 10 year olds, you know, we'll play certain games, you know, certain card games or connect Four or monopoly and they'll beat me every now and then Uh, we'll play Jenga. They'll beat me every now and then, you know, uh, I have to do less handicapping when we're doing certain races or playing games and, and they can beat me. And the sense of satisfaction and joy that they have knowing that they earned that victory 
is unparalleled. And I just don't think they would have gotten that had I always just conceded and let, let them win. And, you know, I, I, I remember when I was around 15 years old, I finally could start to beat my dad in one-on-one playing basketball. And once I got over that hump, I don't think he ever beat me again, you know, and I can just remember how satisfying that was. So yes, I hope that I can't wait for my children to beat me in basketball because they'll know it was legit. I'll know it was legit and they'll have immense satisfaction in doing that. Yeah. What's about empowerment, right? I mean, I I think like everything that I do with the athletes that I work with and the programs that I teach is about empowering these players to feel like they're in control and, and to let them know what they're in control of. And, and that, that thing you talk about earning, you mean that, that is, that is effort, right? And that's a commitment and to to getting better. And, And I'm seeing it right now firsthand, my 13 year old son, he's in the gym. He has, he has these aspirations of being a player. Uh, and he's, he's following, you know, an age appropriate process at this point of like his commitment level and his discipline. And it's super fun to watch, but like he does more pull-ups than me now. You know I mean? He beats me in, in push-up competitions now. And, um, and I want it to be, obviously we want that. We want that succession, but I want them also to have to like aspire to do it. Right. Like dad, dad is a figurehead of course, and somebody that I hoping that they look up to, but I want them to strive to beat me. And again, if we hand, hand them these things, um, I think it breeds the self sense of confidence and it also breeds this inability to be resilient at times, which I'm seeing in today's athlete. I think that like uh, there's a, there's a real problem right now and, and you seem to be agreeing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and what I always remind them of is kind of the bigger lesson and the bigger principles. You know, I I, I want them to to be able to 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 lose with some grace and to win with some graciousness. I mean, I think there's there's characteristics from both winning and losing that I want them to be able to embody and to learn from and, and understand that all of this is is part of the process and the bigger picture. So it's more of the the traits and the behaviors. And of course, that starts with my ability to model those things. I mean, if, if we're going to play a game of horse, you know, in the backyard, uh, when I win, you know, I'm, I'm not talking smack to them. I'm not, you know, waving my finger in their face. I'm not, you know, you know, boasting. I just, yeah, I won. I give them a high five and we just move to the, the next thing that we're going to do. And when they beat me, same thing. I congratulate them. You know, I tell them this was earned. I don't, I don't pout. I don't make excuses. I don't know. So I want them to understand both sides of that because on some level throughout life in all of the different areas of life we are going to win and we are going to lose pretty consistently and and it's how we handle both of those things that i believe define our character and define how how we'll move forward and and i remind them of those there'll be some times where we'll play something and i'll eke out a close victory and you know they're visibly upset and 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 i put my arm around them and let them know hey you know this this is only temporary remember how you feel right now because at some point you will beat me and boy you're going to feel the exact opposite of this and you have to experience some of the heartache and disappointment of losing to really relish and enjoy the winning i mean you you have to have both sides of that coin uh, one of them can't exist in a silo there's no such thing as winning unless you have losing and uh, I want them to to experience that. And I also want them to think big picture. You know, they they may not realize it in the moment, but, you know, losing one game at one tournament when you're in sixth grade at that moment might feel devastating, but there's a very good chance you will not remember that five, 10, 20 years from now, 
but it will be part of the process that will allow you to continue to mature and grow if you use that and channel that appropriately. So, you know, one loss is not going to be the end of the world. It can actually be a really helpful and enriching learning experience if you embrace it as such. Yeah. So, yeah, all of these things are are very regularly modeled and talked about with with my children. Take a short break from the conversation with Alan just to remind you that the Peak Potential Hockey Project is available in three different ways. This is my four-week mindset course uh, that really helps you raise your game. Uh, there's no pun intended there as Alan's book is intended to raise your game and a lot of the principles in Alan's book uh, will help you to do that. And I highly recommend that you read it. Um, if you're a hockey player here that wants to take it one step further and get into a program, a four-week program that will help you raise your game, your mindset strategies, your outlook, your perspectives on how to train, the use of deliberate practice, uh, to increase your mental agility and recover from mistakes and to view um, situations and events with optimism instead of pessimism. Uh, there is a ton of great stuff in the Peak Performance or Peak Potential Project. Uh, you can take it by yourself, which is called the Solo Mission. That has nothing to do with me. You just go on my website and you purchase the program and you take it as you will. There's also the Guided Mission, which is the most popular way to take the program. That's with a group of athletes uh, that sign up for a given session. And at the end of each week, we get on a live coaching call with me and we go over the material. We make sure you are applying it. We make sure you're accountable to it. We make sure you're understanding it. We share stories. Uh, we get through some challenges maybe with, uh, with life or with your game or with the material. And we also celebrate some successes. And uh, it's a fantastic community. It's a fantastic environment to really make sure you're using the material. That's called the guided mission. And the next guided mission, if you're listening to this live or on an early release date, is September 5th. So that will run for four weeks from September 5th, 2022. Uh, if you're watching this or listening to this at a later date, by all means, get on my website, upmyhockey.com. Check out when the next mentored, or sorry, guided mission is coming and you can sign up. It's making a huge difference for a lot of players. Those who just want to raise their game, those who wants to uh, patch a couple holes potentially, maybe some confidence holes, maybe some self-esteem goals, maybe uh, maybe not really living up to that potential that they have. They're not performing the best that they can in games. This is this is a program that's going to help uh, all of the above there. So um, check that out, the uh, guided mission for September 5th. Uh, and there also is one, a last way to take it, which is called my mentored mission. That is one-on-one -on -one with me. Obviously, that's the most touch and feel with me. You're getting the most coaching in that scenario. Um, everything is tailored to you. Uh, so there's three ways to take that at upmyhockey.com. Check under services. So thank you so much for listening here to the conversation and let's get back to it with Alan Stein Jr. Yeah, there's a maturity. Uh, and one thing I, I was going to say, there's a maturity to grace and to humility, I think. You know, well, I don't think, I, I believe I know that. And sometimes even as adults, we, we, we don't get it right. Uh, and and I, I mentioned how competitive my boys are. And, and that's one of the things that one... I've told you it is a cornerstone in our household that we value competitiveness. Um, I think that that's a, I think it's a great trait to have. And I, and I think you almost can't have too much of it. Uh, there is a time though, where it does spill over and now you're, you know, you're, you're not having, you're having unbecoming behavior, right? That isn't, that isn't, that isn't healthy and it isn't team oriented. Uh, I interviewed one, 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 one guest once uh, Rick five was his name, 50 goal scorer for the Toronto Maple Leaf. And he says, 
I just want to round the edges with the competitive players. You know, I just want to round the edge, soften the edges a little bit. Like he doesn't want to take it away. And I think as a parent, that's a tough one for me because I'm, I mean, everything that I work with, everything I'm about is about building the person behind the player and about the character of the athlete. And I believe that's a massive competitive advantage in this day and age when, when culture is such a focus and what the dressing room atmosphere is like. Um, but boy, competitiveness, like it's, I think it's, I mean, it's not dying, but I mean, I just think that that is such a huge piece of the puzzle right now to be brave enough to really commit to winning, you know, and yeah. wanting to win. Right. And I just love that. And when I see that in athletes as a coach and uh, do you like, do you hold that as to such as a high level as I do? And with the players you work with, do you love to see that fire? Absolutely. Well, I, I love that you paired um, the word courage with compete because those things go hand in hand. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to put yourself on the line and risk losing, risk defeat. In some cases, risk feeling humiliated, feeling disappointed, feeling, you know, it's much easier to tow a tepid line, never put yourself out there so you're not at risk of, of any type of major loss. So, yeah, in order to compete, uh, it does take a tremendous amount of courage. And, and with my children, um, you know, I want them to compete, but I want to make sure they know there, there are three behaviors that we as a family do the best we can uh, uh, not to exude. And I say best we can because none of us are perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. But that trilogy of behaviors is blaming, complaining, and making excuses. So they understand that when they lose, whether it's an individual activity or it's a team sport, that blaming, complaining, and making excuses is just simply unacceptable. Um, doesn't mean that whatever they're saying is not valid, but it's unacceptable because it's not going to make things better. It's not going to improve the situation. It's not going to turn that loss into a win. Uh, and when you're a part of a team, those three things can really gut you like a, a cancer. You know, when when you lose a team sport, uh, a game like hockey or basketball, uh, and you start to point the finger and blame somebody for missing a shot or for turning it over, uh, or you make an excuse about the ice or the court was slippery or the referee, um, you know, those types of things. We I, I don't let I don't allow those things to fester. You know, I, I try and model and teach my children to have an attitude of extreme ownership, um, hold themselves fully accountable. While they're not in charge of what their teammates do, they have decided to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And with that comes the understanding that you are going to rely on others for group success, just like they're relying on you. And it's not who missed the shot. It's the fact we missed the shot and that we will win and we will lose together. And, and you know, I, I think those types of principles are important to enforce. So, yes, I want my kids to enjoy competition, to be fierce competitors, to be proud and thankful when they win, but to be gracious and humble when they lose and to, to keep looking at this, this bigger picture. And as soon as I start to see them skewing towards blaming, complaining, making excuses, skirting responsibility, those types of things. Um, yeah. That's when, when we'll dial it back in, recalibrate, reconcile and, and have one of these kind of discussions. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh uh, yeah, man in the arena. That speech was one of the first things that I kind of gave my my oldest son. Uh, and I think, well, one, what, what a you know what, what a piece of 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 written work that that is. Um, uh, but two, I think it's so much more relevant in today's age. With we talked about the social media, and I said maybe some of the nastiness that is on there because with with this highlight reel era, whether it's on TV or social media. 
that trying and not getting it right is is much harder, I think, than ever for some of these kids because you are you're exposing yourself to a lot of people instead of those who are just right in front of you. So um, I believe that's a mindset, and I believe that is something that can be talked about and understood, and 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 the the perception can change. But yeah, when you're willing to try, uh, boy, a lot of good stuff can happen. So. Um, love that you mentioned that. You, you also mentioned the word about a, a accountability, and and for me, some some came to mind, and maybe there's a there's a parallel in, in basketball. But one of the things that I I I have a distaste for, let's call it, is when I see parents carry their young bag, their young kid's hockey bag out of the rink or to the rink, right? And you I mean little Johnny's eight or nine, and yeah, the bag's going to be heavy, but he can definitely hold it. You know, like it's not like he can't. He's not incapable of it. And obviously the intentions are, are, are there, right? Like I want to be helpful and I'm going to be loving and nurturing and I'm a, I'm a good mom or I'm a good dad. But I just, when I was, when I'm head coaching my teams, that's one of the rules I put right at the start of the year. I'm like, do not touch their equipment at any point. And, uh, and for me, it's just like, it's a microcosm of sort of that bigger picture of like, yeah, ownership. I want them to own that equipment. I want them to take pride in that equipment. I want, if it is heavy, I want them to be actually have that intrinsic value of, yeah, I got it through the rink and I got it in there and I'm ready to go. Um, so I think there are little kind of things, whether you're a coach or whether you're a parent, that you can sort of build in this empowerment and you can build in this accountability to what they want to do uh, with sometimes without them even recognizing that there's a lesson there. It just becomes part of uh, their day to day. For sure. I mean, I, I'll even take it one step back further. I mean, I, I have my kids pack their own bags like they right. they need to pack the bag or pack their lunch or pack their water. And if they don't, either because they don't think they need it or they're expecting me to or they forget when they get to the game and then they say, you know, well, I'm thirsty. I wish I had water. Then I just say, all right, well, then I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll remember next time. You know, right. I, I do the best I can outside of the obvious of of safety. I mean, I I don't teach my my children, you know, uh, to look both ways by throwing them in the middle of traffic. Um, but outside of their immediate safety, uh, I want them to, to be as self-reliant and as autonomous as possible. Now, right. I may remind them and say, hey, you know, if you want water at your game this afternoon, you need to pack it. Um but over time, I want them to be fully accountable and responsible for the actions that they take. And I don't bail them out. You know, if if they show up to the basketball game and they forgot to pack their uniform, then they're just going to sit and watch the basketball game. I'm not driving home to get it for them. And, and that is not because I don't love my children. It's because I want that to be the seed planted so that that lesson will stay with them. If we're constantly bailing our children out and constantly packing their lunches and constantly carrying their bags – then they never really learn to be self-reliant and do those things. And they do start to have this mindset of entitlement. And I always find it fascinating that when a generation like ours tells the, the, the following generation, you guys are so entitled and you're so soft. I know, well, who was the one entitling them? It was us that they, they didn't just make that up. You know, the reason kids are entitled is because we as adults came up with this concept of everybody gets a trophy and some of these other constructs. We were the ones that created that. And then we cast blame on them for trying to live up to that. So, yeah, for me, I, I want my children to figure those things out. And I let them know, you know, um, if you ever need my help for something, you can ask for it. You know, I'm not putting you on an island by yourself. If there's something you need from me, like, you know, my kids are 12 and, and 10. I don't expect them to, you know, walk to the grocery store, buy all of their groceries and come back and make their lunch. I'll buy their food. You just need to tell me what it is that you want, but then you'll pack your own lunch. You know, if, if, if I buy you a water bottle, then it's up to you to fill it and use it. So it's, it's some give and take. And, and we have these discussions all of the time. And 
Um, you know, I, I do believe that when you learn something through firsthand experience, quote unquote, the hard way, that lesson becomes much stickier. Mm -hmm. When you leave your uniform at home and you show up to the game without it and you can't play, you will most likely never do that again. But if I drive home and get your uniform for you, there's a good chance you'll keep doing that until I stop. So for me, that's just always been part of my parenting philosophy. And, and I say all of this with a huge smile because I'm not, I'm not a drill sergeant. I'm not, I'm definitely not an angry guy. I love my children immensely, but I, I'm doing this because that's the type of person that I would love to see them grow to be. Yeah. Now, if we, so we're talking about our kids and our children, our, our philosophies, and, and now you're in the, the business world, but you were working with athletes for a good portion of your career. Like when we're talking about collegiate or even, even the pro level athlete, it's more of the same, is it not? As far as the performance gaps are concerned, um, just on a little different level. Like how do you, how do you, how, how would that look like for you? Like what, when, when you get hired to work with an athlete, uh, what were you, tr what were they hiring you for? How are you helping them? So when I was in the basketball training space, I mean, for the most part, they were hiring me to improve their athleticism, uh, their mindset, their, their bulletproof their body against injury. Most of it was physical. Um, but then I slowly started to realize that uh, the mental is what unlocked the capabilities of the physical. So I very quickly learned that those two things were hand in hand. So I would work on anything from, you know, how they would strengthen their core and become more explosive uh, and improve mobility in their ankles to how they could learn to stay focused and be present during the game. So I, I would kind of do uh, both of, of those things. And, um, you know, for me, really the only prerequisite was someone that was coachable, you know, yeah. someone that would, would be open to instruction, open to feedback, was, was going to have a good attitude and give their best effort. You know, I was never concerned with what level a player was, you know. In yeah. fact, um, the NBA guys I've had a chance to work with certainly get most of the notoriety but the overwhelming vast majority of my work was done at the youth and high school level. I mean, if you were to count up all of the hours that I put in, in the 15 years that I worked in the basketball training space, 95% of them were with youth, middle and high school age players. And that was by preference. Like I enjoyed working with that age because I enjoyed being a role model for them. Very similar to all of the things we've been talking about from a parenting standpoint. I mean, right. this was well before I had children, but these were the type of principles that I wanted to impart on these young people. And pouring into young people is something that's always been very important to me and something I've always enjoyed doing. So, yeah, I specialize mostly um, at that age. And, you know, parents would hire me for a couple of reasons. One, just for the sheer uh, strength and conditioning and performance expertise that they didn't have. They, they didn't necessarily know how to safely train their kids. Uh, but two, they understood the power of an outside voice. You know, they understand. And I understand this now as a, as a father myself. Um, you know, you can tell your children something over and over, but they're always going to look at you through the lens of, well, that's just my dad. You know, what does he know? He's my dad. Doesn't matter uh, how accomplished we are in our professional lives. Their view of us will always be tainted, understandably. So these parents would say, hey, you know, I've been telling my child he needs to do this, this and this. He doesn't listen to me, but he'll listen to you. And we would always have, you know, an exchange a friendly smile and wink and high five because I get it. And same thing. I mean, I, I, we hire a basketball trainer to come over to work with our children in basketball. Is that because I don't know the game and can't teach them? No, of course not. It's because I just want to keep my dad hat on, let somebody else pour into them. You know, I do some drills with them and play with them and have some fun, but, but I also want them to learn 
to take coaching and teaching from an outside voice. And um, so that's, that's worked out really well. And I think actually improved our relationship because then I talked to them about the workout they just had with their coach or their trainer. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a really nice bonding experience. Hey, they're just going to take a short break from our great conversation with Alan Stein Jr. to remind you that teams can work with me through the Peak Potential Project. Now, the season is fast approaching. The release date of this is at the end of August, uh, this episode here, that if you're listening to live. Uh, so September is just around the corner and October. And wouldn't it be great to start the year off better than ever by giving your team the cognitive tools to be able to succeed on an individual level and on a team basis? Uh, I had the the uh, the benefit and the uh, the opportunity to work with some teams last year with the Peak Potential Project, and it was super exciting to see a team come together, to see them talk about things that they haven't talked about before, and to share a collective experience that usually they would not be talking about amongst themselves. Uh, this gives them more resilience. It gives them more opportunity to push each other. It gives them. Um, it really gives them new choices to make on the ice and in the locker room that helps everybody uh, on the team. Uh, you can do this for the price of a hockey stick uh, is how I have it set up. When, when a team rolls in uh, for two to $300 per player, you can get the four-week program uh, that includes me with four coaching calls. Uh, the value, I think, is tremendous, as will the coaches uh, that have taken the program will tell you the value is tremendous. Uh, last year, I had the opportunity to work with the Salmon Arm Silverbacks uh, team in the BCHL. Uh, it, was, it was a great opportunity for me to work with the Junior A team and head coach Tyler Shattuck. I'll share what he had to say about the program. Uh, he said, I saw, immediately saw the benefits of working with Jason and his program. Our players were more adept in handling adversity, letting go of frustration, and even using it as a tool for performance. Jason's knowledge of the game combined with his expertise and mental coaching played a significant role in our team's performance on and off the ice. I would highly recommend Jason to any athlete or team looking to increase mental toughness for an athletic advantage. Um, the Salmon Arm Silverbacks went on to their best finish in league history or in, in team history. Uh, obviously, I cannot take credit for, uh, for that, but it is nice to be involved uh, in the success of a team and to be a part of the culture that they're building there. And I do believe that some of the uh, strategies and tools that we were talking about and the ability for them to talk to me about uh, throughout their season uh, did help them with, uh, with their personal performance and their collective team performance. <clears throat> so... Uh, yes, yeah, so the team the team option is there. You can find that out on the website, upmyhockey uh, forward slash peak potential. Uh, go check it out. And like I said, for the cost of a hockey stick, if you're an amateur team, uh, you can get some fundraising around that. Uh, you're not going to find any better value as far as a team building experience. So thanks again for listening. Now let's get back to the podcast with Alan Stein, Jr. You use that word coachable, and uh, anyway, I think humility goes hand in hand in that. And and I, I reflect on my career because I was at a younger age, kind of one of the chosen ones, right? Like that was better than everybody, and grew grew fast. And I was a high draft pick, and and I I didn't know it at the time because I didn't know the lingo, but I had a I had a fixed mindset about my talent. 
I was a really, really hard worker. Like I would work in the gym and I mean, there'd be pools of sweat in the floor, but I never opened up that box of how good can I get? Like, what can I extract from what I have? And, uh, and to the point that like my parents were super supportive, I was an only child and they were unbelievably supportive of me, didn't have a hockey background themselves, but they at one point offered the services of Anthony Robbins. Not that, not that I, not that they thought there was anything necessarily wrong with me, but just in the idea of, Hey, how can we, how can you get better? Right. And for me, I was operating from that, from that, you know, that, that baseline of, I, why, I don't need help. Why would like, there's nothing wrong. I mean, what's wrong with me? And, and now it's, it's interesting because I'm trying to get athletes out of that headspace that I had, that it's not about anything being wrong, or it's not about you being broken. It's about how do you be better, right? How do you be better? And, and what do you need to input into your life, whether it be mindset strategies or tools or workouts or habits or people um, that can do that for you? And I think that's when it gets really, really interesting. And it actually becomes, you talk about passion in your book. I think that's where the passion starts coming up from. And, and you know, you get this curiosity and, and all these great things start happening that really fuel the fire of your development. Um, do, do you, like, I, I know some of these stars, like it, it I assume I wasn't the only one. Like, there's got to only be a handful out there that are like, hey, I'm looking to fill my bucket with as many great people as I can. Um, I think Kevin Durant was one of those players. Uh, do you have maybe some examples of those that that did have that growth mindset and those that maybe had a fixed mindset? Yeah, most of the, the elite that I've been around in basketball and business, for whatever reason, whether nature or nurture, have had that that growth mindset. They've learned to fall in love with the pursuit of mastery. They've learned to fall in love with the work during the unseen hours, you know, that they get so much satisfaction, you know, out of maybe learning a new move. And at the beginning, it's kind of clunky and awkward, but they keep doing it and drilling it down. And then they get fairly proficient at it, doing it in practice. And then two months later, just out of nowhere, they do it in the middle of a game. Like, they get so much satisfaction out of that. That's what keeps them going. You know, they, they technically keep score with some of the external metrics, you know, some of the external accolades and praise. But ultimately, one of the things that separates them from everyone else is no matter how good they get, they know they can still get better. You know, I mean, by many people's account, when he's healthy, Kevin Durant is the best pure scorer in the NBA today. You know, one of the best pure scorers you know, uh, in a generation, but he's not resting on that. He's still working on his game, adding new moves, working on new shots. He's not worried about what everybody else says he, you know, where he ranks among other players. He knows that he still has the ability to improve. That was one of the things I always found so remarkable about both Kobe Bryant and Stephen Curry. You know, once again, each of those guys are, are once in a generation type player uh, and, that was never good enough for them because they knew they still had a little bit more in the tank, that they could still get a little bit better, that they could refine, you know, certain nuances of the game. And, and to me, that's that's what's what's most important. And that growth mindset um, is certainly one of the things that that I try to model and live out in my own life. And one of the things that I talk about very regularly uh, with my children and um, yeah, it's it's one of the most important distinctions I think someone can make. When it comes to Steph Curry, and, and I, I said uh, you have a couple of great stories in your book, and one that I've used with with some of my clients, like you know, read it right out of right out of the book. But that idea that he was a work in progress, and I think you said, uh, if I might be paraphrasing, but he was creating a monster uh, when you saw him, and uh, and I just love that because I 
I'm super aspirational. Uh, I, I want I want children to aspire. I want humans to aspire, right, to something. And and when we have these these stories, these real world stories of of who right now a lot of people feel is the best shooter in the game and MVP of the playoffs and championship player who was unheralded at like 21 years old or whatever it was, you know, that not many people knew who he was. Like that is a crazy growth curve, right? And and but you talked about when you walked on that floor, what you were watching and what you saw in him before he became Steph Curry now. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. Well, it, it, another one of these principles that that I try to live myself, try to model for my children, and I talk about both on stage and on page is kind of this mindset. And, and I'm not the one that came up with this phrase. I don't know who was or I would give them proper attribution. But, you know, before you can become a champion, you have to behave like a champion. You know, but before you can win, you have to develop the habits and the mindset of a winner. Um, it's it's these, you know, that it's the cart and the horse. But um, to me, that's what was most impressive about Steph. You know, he was putting these things into practice and exercising these types of disciplines well before he became who he was. So uh, it's not an accident that he's such a good shooter. Uh, it's simply cause and effect. You know, when you put in that much time with purposeful practice during the unseen hours and you have an incredibly high standard of excellence and you hold yourself fully accountable and you're always working on your craft and you have a growth mindset, you take all of that together, the perfect cocktail, and you do it consistently. It's not a matter of, of if you'll be successful. It's just a matter of when. And there are certainly some other variables. Um, I'm not implying that even if my children did exactly what Steph Curry did, that they would grow up and be the best shooters of all time and can't even promise that they'd make the NBA. There's so many other factors, um, but those are controllable factors. And those are things that, that you know, I, I let my children know because all three of them have expressed to me that they have the goal of playing college basketball. That's not something I told them they should have that goal or that's what they've told me. So what I am constantly reminding them of and, and this is a, a quote that I, I actually have, have shared in the book and, and I'm very proud to say is hanging up uh, in the training room of the Penn State football um, is are the habits you have today on par with the dreams you have for tomorrow. So I, I to sound less motivational, I say that to my kids and just say, you know, are the things you're doing today in alignment with being a college basketball player? You know, with what you just chose to eat for lunch, did that take you closer to being a college player or further away? You know, I, I notice it's a beautiful day outside and you've been staring at your iPhone for an hour. Do you think that's taking you closer to being a college player or would maybe going outside and, and working on your handle or working on your shot? Would that take you closer? And, and I don't say any of this to guilt them. I don't say any of it to make them feel bad. They have the right to make their own decisions. And I've told them, if you want to sit there and play on your phone for the next two hours, knock yourself out. But at some point, you will look back and say, I wish I would have taken that opportunity to work on my game or get a little bit better. And, and the chances are that crossroads will occur when you don't achieve what you've been trying to achieve. You know, when, when you get to the point that you can't play college basketball, you may look back and look at all of the opportunities that you could have gotten better and you chose not to. And we all have those, by the way, you mm -hmm. know, that that would not be anything unique to them. And I, I'm not saying this to position them in a place where they're trying to second guess everything. I want my kids to be kids. I want them to have fun. I want them to enjoy life, but I want them to know that the more votes you can cast now for being a college player, you know, the more deposits you can play now, the greater the likelihood that will come true. Doesn't guarantee it, 
but it puts you in the best position possible, especially considering that because they have half of my DNA, my children will be average size of average athletic ability. You know, they're, they're not going to have the physique of a LeBron James or the athleticism of a Russell Westbrook. So given the fact that you're going to be at best around my size and my athleticism, then you better be highly skilled, be an incredible teammate, an unbelievable leader. And the good news is those are all things that you can work on. So you don't have to, to blame, complain, or make excuses that you weren't born with LeBron's physique. You can actually take the time to work on those things to give you the better chance. And uh, that's, that's all that I hope for them. So I, I remind them of those things all of the time is what you're doing now, taking you closer to the goal that you've told me you have. And if you choose to change that goal, if two years from now you say, you know what, I don't want to play college basketball. I want to do something else. That's totally fine. But these same principles will apply. It won't, it won't change a lick. That's wild. So that, that, uh, the Penn state quote, who's their coach there again? James Franklin is the the head football coach at Penn state. And now, and, but who was, but like the all time. Well, I, I read a book and and, he, and I'm not a college football guy, but I read a book by, by a college fo- fo- uh, football guy. And he had that above his desk, something very similar. Like do your, do your, uh, do your, do your job. I, I well, I know. I mean, Joe Paterno is the famous coach that was there for well over 40 years. That's and right. Unfortunately, yeah. Penn State had that massive scandal with right. um, some of the pedophilia charges. So, you know, one of the hardest things that, that James Franklin had to do was come in and take over a historic program that was now riddled in controversy and has done a great job. But one of the cool things, very similar to how we started this conversation with dropping the breadcrumbs between you know your introduction to me and Jared. Um, so when I, I played basketball at Elon, a, a small school in North Carolina, and, and I became really good friends with a, a gentleman named Michael Hazel, who was a football player at Elon at the same time. And both he and I really gravitated towards strength and conditioning. So um, in our free time, we were often in the weight room together and we built this nice, nice friendship and kind of went our separate ways for about 20 years. And then 20 years later, uh, he's the personal assistant to James Franklin at Penn State. He had kind of been following me from afar on social media and read Raise Your Game and gave it to Coach Franklin. Coach Franklin thankfully really enjoyed it and said, we'd, we'd love for this guy to come come speak to the team and um, had me come speak to Penn State football. And they, they put that quote up, um, which was a, a tremendous honor. I mean, the players run past it every single day that they have practice. Um but that only stemmed from a personal relationship that I had developed 20 years prior. You know, right. I, I'm humble enough to acknowledge that if Michael Hazel was not the personal assistant to James Franklin, uh, my quote would not be up in their training room and I would never have spoken to the team. But that's right. just kind of a, a power of, of relationships. So I, I think stories like that are so cool. No, it's fantastic. Yeah. And, and I was just, oh, it was Urban Meyer. It was, oh, it was an interview Meyer, I heard with yeah. Urban Meyer that had something similar to that. And, and I, and I stole it for, from him or from you. I'm not sure where it originally came from. And I just, and I've been talking to my players about, do your thoughts, words, and actions align with your goals and dreams? Exactly. Um, obviously very similar, but because I'm into the mindset category, like it, it is, what are you thinking about? How are you speaking to yourself? And what are you, what are your actions telling about, about those goals and dreams? And, and again, I'm not, I, I can't, I mean, not, not everybody's Kobe Bryant. Not everybody's going to wake up at four in the morning and have this type of dedication, but the the closer we can get those things to align more, more often than not, uh, boy, you're, you're, I mean, you're obviously ahead of the game. For uh, sure. well, well, one of the things that I love about that equation is I say, okay, you've got your habits and you've got your goals or your dreams. 
And as you just said so masterfully, those things need to be in alignment because if they're not in alignment, then one of them needs to change. And this is what I, I always say with a huge wink and a smile. You either need to improve your habits and your mindset or you need to lower your goals and your dreams. And, and usually when I say that, people are like, you know, I mean, no person in their right mind will ever consciously lower their goals and dreams. And, you know, oh, never mind. I don't want to be a college player. I just want to live a life of mediocrity. I mean, it sounds funny even saying it. So we've pretty much agreed that no one wants to change this half of the equation, which means the only thing that can be changed now are the habits and mindsets. And that's what needs to be leveled up. So I tell my kids all the time, if you want to be a college player, you need to start behaving like a college player now. And you, everything you do, just ask yourself, is this taking you closer to that goal or further away? When you're tempted to stay up late at night playing video games, ask yourself, would getting a, a good night's sleep take me closer to being an elite athlete or further away? And the beautiful part is, when you, when you make it somewhat binary and you start asking yourself these questions, the answers are blatantly obvious. In fact, you know, I think it's Nick Saban um, that was the, the, the head football coach for, for Alabama football, you know, an absolute dynasty uh, is the one that always says it just takes what it takes. He's like, you know, when you want to be an Alabama football player, it's actually fairly simple because you don't have to ask yourself the, the dozens of questions that normal people ask themselves because you already know the answer. You don't have to ask yourself, should I stay out late drinking? Because the answer is no, you can't do that if you want to be an elite level football player. You don't have to ask yourself. So I, I actually like that. He Life becomes more simplified when you get crystal clear on the goal you're pursuing because it brushes away all of the nonsense. And now you know, here's the, here's the path to get there. Yeah. You mentioned uh, when you're talking about Steph there, like the, the personal practice and and I actually did a video about it yesterday and I talked to the players I work with. And I also like working with that, with the younger age groups, just because when I'm on the ice doing practical stuff, well, actually end, end in, in the mindset realm, just because you can literally see them getting better, like in a session, like there's like, there's so much improvement that, that, that happens there. And it's so fun to work with that age group. But I, I told them, I said, uh, one line that I like to use is that it's not what you do. It's how you do it. So, you know, speaking to another coach, I do believe that there is, you know, some coaches have better drills and have better instruction and, you know, what they are doing, of course, that there's an element of that. But when you put everybody on the field or everybody in the gym or everybody on the ice doing what it is they're doing, there are going to be some that do it differently, right? Yeah. They personalize it. They have a different level of intention, a, a different level of del deliberateness. And those are the players. And I was trying to get that, you know, when I'm speaking with them, I'm like, that's your choice. Like, that's how you show up. And that's what you're going to do. And, and that's what I loved about your story about Steph when I read the book is because everyone on that court was doing the same thing. But Steph took a way different level of commitment to what that was. And he applied it to him and his game and what he needed. And, uh, and of course, you I mean, the, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. So um, I believe that stuff can be taught. And I believe like conversations like ours and sharing these conversations and, you know, my program and your book and stuff like this can help these athletes get that because that's a light switch moment that can really increase like that, 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 that drive to get to your potential, which is one thing that I love when players are seeking. Absolutely. No, it, it, it just comes back to the basics and the fundamentals and a handful of core principles done consistently with the best effort and the best attitude possible, paying close attention to what you do during the unseen hours when no one else is watching, 
and kind of sticking to that. I mean, I'm, I'm a very simple guy and I, I don't say that to diminish myself. I say that with a tremendous amount of pride. You know, uh, I live by a handful of, of core values and principles and I do my best to repeat them consistently and be very genuine and authentic in doing so. And that's it. You know, I, I don't try to overcomplicate things. In fact, the older and hopefully wiser and more mature I get, the more I'm trying to simplify things. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm at the point now to, to your, you know, to what you just said, I'm not necessarily looking to add more tools to my toolbox. I'm looking to get much more proficient and effective with the tools I already have. I don't need to lug around extra tools. That's just extra work. I need to make sure I'm getting the most out of the ones that I have. So as I've gotten older, um, I've learned to, to, to let go of things, you know, and, and, and pursue self-actualization, not through an accumulation of more, but in getting rid of the things that are just completely unnecessary and just living my life by these core principles. And um, I, I find that both empowering and liberating. Sure. Yeah, I know. And, and the, uh, the idea that, you know, our intention and our focus, which is at such a deficit, I think, right now with the screens and everything else, right? Like how we can control and teach these young people to control their attention and their time uh, is, a, is a massive asset. I want to get back. I know we're, we're short on time here. And for me, for whatever reason, it's just sort of been on my mind lately. And uh, and we touched on a little bit earlier with the ability to be courageous. And, and Michael Gervais, I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work or not, but he calls it FOPO, and I've, and I've stole it in my program, and, and, and the fear of other people's opinion and how that is can be so debilitating for, for young athletes and, uh, and anyone really striving for anything. Uh, how do you treat that? Or how do you – like what is your answer to fear of others' opinion when somebody has – this confidence issue about failing or about looking bad or about trying and, and what the, what the results of that might be. What, do you have any kind of a game plan with that? Well, first and foremost, and this goes for everything that I've shared so far in this conversation, everything that I share on stage and everything that I share on page, I'm not coming from a place of mastery. Uh, these are all things that I am continuing to work on. Now, I am very proud of the progress that I've made in most areas of my life. I'm very excited and optimistic about the direction I'm headed, um, but I haven't mastered any of this. Um, but the fear of other people's opinions is a perfect example of something that I'm doing a much better job dealing with that today than I have in years past. There have been times in my past where that was almost crippling to me. And while I'm certainly far from a master at it at present, I've made great progress. And some of it just comes down to um, what it is that we prioritize and what it is that we emphasize. You know, um, you know, where in your your pecking order are you placing the importance of what other people think? And this is not just other people like close friends and mentors. This is someone with an obscure avatar and, and handle on social media that you don't even know who they are as a human being who may be critical or comment on something you're doing, you know, uh, where are you prioritizing their opinion in how you feel about uh, yourself? A lot of it has to do with how we define things. Like how, how do you define failure? You know, if, if you work really hard to, to put something out in the world and a couple people criticize it, you know, by your definition, do you consider that a failure? So a lot of these things I've had to recalibrate and readjust for myself um, because I was putting way too much emphasis into that. Um, yeah. So for me, I've been working really hard to make sure that my self-worth and my confidence comes from the inside out. Uh, it comes from, from keeping, the, keeping my word to myself, keeping commitments that I say, 
um, is, is a part of it. It comes down to my self-narrative, the way I talk to myself. So I've learned to be less critical of myself, give myself more grace and compassion. You know, now when, when things don't quite go my way, I try to talk to myself with the same love and compassion that I would talk to one of my children or talk to a friend or talk to a teammate. You know, if, if you and I were really close friends and you called me up and told me you'd had a really rough day, I'm not going to be critical of you. I'm not going to guilt you, make you feel bad. I'm going to try and comfort you. I'm going to try and pick you up. I'm going to try and in, inspire you. So I've learned to talk to myself in that same way. Uh, and then lastly, I, I also believe self-worth and confidence comes from demonstrated performance. You know, you, you know how you get more confidence on stage as a keynote speaker? You get on more stages and you give more keynotes, like you get in the repetitions. And, and so I've tried to work on those things. And then I know that, that it also takes courage to put things out in the world, whether it's something like this podcast or putting a book out, because now you're putting a piece of you out in the world that other people are going to judge and can be critical of. And I accept that. I acknowledge that. And I have no problem with anyone voicing their opinion of what they think of me or my work. Where I can put up guardrails is whether or not I allow that to affect how I feel about myself. And, you know, it, it's kind of that adage that I don't really worry about criticism from someone that I wouldn't ask advice from. You know, if, if one of my close friends or mentors or coaches or family members came to me to offer some constructive criticism, I'm incredibly open to hearing that feedback. But when someone I've never met, you know, as something is casting a stone, I'll still listen to it. Because there's still a chance that they're making a very valid point and it could actually help me improve, but I never let it degrade my self-worth or my self-confidence. And because I recognize all of us are seeing the world through a very biased lens. And many of the times in the, in the playgrounds I'm on and when you're putting stuff out there, if someone is going to make the time to leave my book a one-star review and say that it's garbage that is more of a reflection of where they are in their life at that moment and what they're experiencing than, than it is about my book. You know, maybe they've had a really hard go at things. Maybe, you know, who, who knows what's going on in their life. And, and, and so I don't, I don't judge them. I'm not critical of them. And if anything, it's the exact opposite. I have so much empathy and compassion. I feel bad for someone that takes five minutes out of their day to write a scathing review of my book. Like that just shows that they're not in a great place. And I don't say that to diminish them or judge them. My heart goes out to them, but I'm not going to let someone that leaves a, a, you know, a, a, an anonymous review on Amazon dictate the effort and time that I put into putting something out there. And um, you know, I can say all of this to you right now with a tremendous amount of confidence because it's taken years for me to get to this point. You know, if we would have had this discussion 10 years ago, I wasn't in the same place. I was very much my, how I felt about myself was very much at the mercy of how others viewed me and what others thought. And it's taken maturation and life experience to get here. But um, I'm much more insulated now. Uh, I, I won't go as far as use the term bulletproof because I'm still human. Uh, if I still read that one-star review for a few seconds, I'll still feel a little wounded. I'll still feel vulnerable. I'll still feel like someone you know punched me in the gut. But now I'm able to quickly move on to the next play after that. It won't drag me down for more than maybe a few minutes. Right. Yeah, well, good for you. One of the uh, one of the games, and it is a game, and I'll just share this with you, and maybe it'll be something fun that you guys can do with your family or, or, or maybe somewhere on a, on a stage. But Todd Halushko, a former teammate of mine, and I don't know if it was his game, but it was when I was first introduced to this, and it was um, when I was playing professional in Germany at the time. 
uh, he had what was called the consequence game. And so the consequence game was where you would sit at a table with your peers, you know, for us, it was a hockey team. And, and usually in a juvenile kind of setting, whether it be a restaurant or you're just out having a good time and everyone would agree on a consequence. So the consequence was always somewhat humiliating, right? Embarrassing. Like you'd have to do something in public usually that, that you would never normally do. Right. So you'd feel massively uncomfortable doing this thing. And, and, uh, and you get all those feelings inside and the guts and, 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 and you actually don't want to win the game, obviously, because the person who wins the game has to do the, con- has to do the con- uh, consequence. So anyways, I, I've, I've taught this to some of my players and obviously, I mean, you, you, you can, or you can't do it, but the idea is obviously that we take each other, we, we take ourselves really seriously and some more than others, right. That we don't want to look bad. Like we, we actually insulate ourselves constantly with trying not to look bad Right. Now, when you consciously go into a situation knowing you're going to look bad and then having to deal with that and then also seeing the consequences of it, that it's not that big of a deal. Um, I find it I, I, I find it actually quite remarkable on some of the impact it can have on people. So anyways, and you can make up your own consequence, whatever those things are. But uh, and, the, and the collective has to agree to it. But you you will see people sweat in this right like and and really crumble in front of your eyes sometimes like how how much we protect this idea of ego and who we are so it was a fun way to kind of get get over it and and not take ourselves so seriously and again on the you know on the sporting floor on the ice arena i mean we definitely have to be willing to to look bad sometimes and play big right and and, and, uh, to take that shot so anyways maybe that's a good way to finish i want to protect your time and respect it i know you said 60 minutes i really am grateful for you taking the time speaking with some of you've never heard of before. I have no idea about my program or my audience. So uh, I really thank you for that, for trusting me and, and, and enriching my audience with, uh, with your, with your knowledge and with your experience. So thanks so much, Alan, for being here. Oh my goodness. It was my pleasure. Well, I appreciate you making the initial outreach and uh, sharing that Jared had read the book. So that was very kind and thoughtful of you. This was a really fun conversation. Uh, I hope you and your listeners enjoyed. Awesome. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of the podcast with Alan Stein Jr. I know it wasn't difficult as that was a pretty fun conversation to have. Uh, Alan, if you're listening, thank you so much uh, for being gracious enough and trusting enough to spend 60 minutes with me, someone uh, that you have never met. And I'm sure Alan has has not been running around listening to uh, hockey podcasts on performance. So I'm sure he hadn't heard the program before. So uh, a little bit of a leap of faith by Alan. It sounds uh, to me like we got along just just fine, and uh, and I know you, uh, my listeners, and and my my audience uh, will be forever grateful to Alan for for all that wisdom that he that he shared. Uh, I really do believe the book is a great read. Um, you know, oftentimes when people have have uh, authors on, you know, they're expected to talk nicely about the book, but this book is. Is, is really well done. It's concise. It's story driven. Uh, it's, it's an easy read that is quite impactful. Uh, and even but from the way it's broken up, you know, from the player to the coach to the team uh, aspect in the three parts, I, I really did enjoy it. So if you're, if you're interested in, uh, in how to increase in performance, whether you're a parent or whether you're a player, I suggest you pick it up. And for the players out there who are listening right now, reading books like this has become the age of the dinosaur, it seems like, for the, for the players that I've been talking to and the players that I work with. 
uh, reading isn't something that really seems to be going on too much. Uh, now, I don't care if you read or if you listen to an audio book, but I do think that there is so much knowledge out there from people with experience that can help you grow your game, can help you shift your mindset. Now, of course, that is what I do with players and with teams, uh, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to work with them. But there is not a monopoly on this stuff, right? Like the more voices you have, the more, the more opportunity you have to pick up something that you can add into your toolbox that's going to help you perform uh, to a different level or have, have a different insight. Like you should be pursuing it. And again, it shouldn't seem like work. Like this book to me isn't work. It's an easy read. Uh, I enjoy reading it. And there are others out there. Audio, autobiographies are also a great one for, for athletes. You know, find one of your heroes and read a book about them, what they went through, uh, you know, how they, how they fought through challenges and what their challenges were. Uh, not only do you understand who your idol is a little bit better, but it also will give you inspiration uh, when there's times of difficulty or when you need to reach a little bit higher or raise your standards or whatever the thing may be. Uh, Alan speaks a lot about self-awareness, and I'm a huge proponent of self-awareness around, uh, as well. That's the number one thing he writes in his, in his uh, player section of the book. And, uh, and I believe a self-aware player is now a more empowered player because you have different choices in front of you that you're able to make. Uh, when you can look in the mirror with honesty and you're able to evaluate yourself in the moment, there's a whole lot of choices that we have to make that otherwise were unavailable to us. Uh, so that's the number one thing for me. And when I talk about the Peak, peak Potential Project, uh, that is what I am talking and that's what I'm gifting players. I'm giving them the, the opportunity to be self-aware. And in those moments of self-awareness, whether it be on the practice field or whether it be on the ice surface or whether it be uh, in times of distress or in times of uh, negativity, we are now able to make different choices. <clears throat> and we can increase our value to our teams to the associations that we're in, and to ourselves as as uh, as hockey players, trying to trying to get somewhere, trying to achieve these great goals and these great dreams. So, I know I talked about it this uh, this uh, podcast quite a bit, but the Peak Potential Project is an ongoing uh, is an ongoing session. It's something in the in the mentored mission where I work with players one on one individually. That can happen at any time. The guided mission is one that rotates through about a five-week process. Uh, September 5th is the next start date for that. And there's also the solo mission, which you can take by yourself. Uh, I'm really excited about promoting this program because I've seen the results, whether it be collectively at the junior A level with 20 athletes or whether it be collectively at the Adam level with 15 athletes or whether it be individuals that come together in the guided mission from all four corners of North America uh, in all different age groups that can get so much value from this from this uh, course. Uh, I really am thankful that I was able to put it out there, that I was brave enough to do it, uh, and now I'm seeing the results that this stuff just doesn't get talked about enough. It's not delivered to athletes in a way that they can, that they can I don't know what, 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 why it's not there or what's not working, but the fact is is that this four-week program works. It gives kids confidence. It gives players uh, the ability to look at themselves differently. It gives them the empowers them to handle their development on their terms and to confidently walk into situations knowing what they're all about, what they want to do, and what it's going to take to get there. And, uh, and when those lights turn on, boy, that's fun for me as a coach. And I know it's fun for parents to watch too. So once again, thanks for listening. Um, really appreciate your guys' support with the podcast. 
Uh, I hope you enjoy the conversations. I'm going to be being more regular here in the next little while with uh, with delivering these to you. Uh, get back into a little bit higher frequency of production. We are getting back into hockey season after all, and um, and it is my way of of kind of giving back to the hockey community because it's. Uh, it's a lot of fun for me to do, and I know there's so many lessons in there, and I have gotten lots of, of messages and, and, and thank yous from you guys for, for putting it out in the stories that we share. So until next time, play hard and keep your head up. Just one.